This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today is how are education associations leading anti-racist work in education? So our guest today we're super excited to have is Marquita Prinzing. She's a nationally board certified teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. She's a mother of a three-year-old and an almost six-year-old. And she's the director of SEA Center for Racial Equity. We're super excited to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. Welcome. (laughs) So let's start off first with just telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, You were a teacher and you are still in education. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? What are some things that you've kind of brought you to this place? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I often talk about when I'm giving my kind of standard speech, but I think it's really important, is that my mother is black. My father is white. I identify as a mixed race black woman, which means that I live my life as a black woman. Mm Uh, but I clearly have a different experience than um, my dark-skinned uh, uh, people, right? And and so one of, one of the things that, that kind of meant for me was that um, my mother, who in fifth grade, years after Brown versus Board, mm. could not go to school for two weeks because mm. her school shut down because they didn't want to integrate black people into it. Mm. My father... Uh, was a Midwestern white man, but also had enough challenges that meant that neither of my parents graduated from college before I was born. Mm-hmm. My mother graduated her AA after I was born. I have like memories of being in class with her at eight and nine and all these other. She went to uh, North Seattle Community College. Cool. And so mm-hmm. like that was an experience that, that, that lived through. My parents decided uh, after meeting in the military, mm-hmm. and these are all the different random pieces of our racial equity world yeah. um, that they wanted us to have an education. Us mm-hmm. being me and my sister, who's five years younger. Mm-hmm. And they moved up to Seattle. Mostly, mm-hmm. I think I, th- I think it was mostly random, but in part because my mom's sister, who was uh, like 13 years older than her or mm-hmm. so, uh, was in the military and was at like Fort, um, whatchamacallit, what's, what's the one in Tacoma? JBLM, Fort yeah. Lewis. Fort Lewis, George, yeah. Joint so she, so she was, Fort Lewis, mm-hmm. McCourt. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. where she was at. So she was like, Seattle, I guess that's where we're going. Yeah. Um, and it was really honestly because of education. My parents wanted me to have the education that I needed. Um, and so going through that and seeing how that worked, including in like fourth grade or third grade, having to be bused via um, the whole attempt at integration. Yeah. Can you talk more about the attempt? Because I think I know what you're saying, but I'm gonna say uh, I don't know if all I'm of our gonna, listeners I, I can't, know. I can't. I don't know if I can speak to it directly. I'm going to say this my personal opinion. Okay, yeah. so I was in um, what is now called HC, mm-hmm. HCC, APP, whatever, the, the highly capable stuff. Yeah. And in order to kind of benefit from that, my white father basically said I was white because his whole opinion mm. was I am as white as I am black. Mm. And... I, we even have like stories of uh, in our uh, birth certificates, which they don't do anymore. But when they said that I was black, he was he said, I will not sign this birth certificate unless you include that she's also white. Hmm. And to me, that's just a statement of his white privilege 
in an attempt to benefit me. Mm. Right. So we get forward, right? We're in, in schools, and uh, he kind of uses that to place me, place, right? So when I was in Northgate, which is where I was living, mm-hmm. and integration was happening, and I was in this program, and they were trying to integrate or, I don't know, mix people up. They literally put me on a bus. I was in fifth grade mm-hmm. for two, well, for an hour each mm-hmm. way. And I just remember, you know, like, the bus drive was nice. Yeah. But I was on That's the bus on my damn self yeah. in fifth grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I know we think maybe fifth grade children, like, are a little bit older, but I was I was so young. To then be such um, culturally shocked once I got to that place. Now it was mm-hmm. it was still wonderful, it was still an amazing space mm-hmm. for me, and I, I gained a lot out of it. But I was like, how much of a failure is this system mm-hmm. that they think somehow this particular setup is going to benefit who? Mm-hmm. Well, and most of the, from what I've read, it seems like most of the effort to like desegregate or to integrate schools, the burden was placed on families of color to mm-hmm. to ride the buses for long as hours and never or on the white provide, families. Or to provide transportation and, and that yeah. was not available. Um, Absolutely. So if you want something to better work. to happen, but then right. you're making the, the same population that already gets um, other kinds of burdens placed on them. They are the ones who have to carry the, the weight of this is, is so mm-hmm. preposterous. And. I had to do some uh, deciphering because name changes of schools, mm-hmm, yeah. so I had to do some, like, uh, backwards thinking. But I'm pretty sure the school that I went to in fifth grade via busing mm-hmm. from Northgate, which I could have gone to Whittier because they also mm-hmm. had the same program, but was Thurgood Marshall. And if we know anything about Thurgood Marshall, mm-hmm. they've had all kinds of challenges, yeah. um, uh, you know, pointed out by their community about the segregation Mm -hmm. there and by many educators who Mm -hmm. worked there to Mm -hmm. be like, this is clearly segregated. It is not based on the skills or potential of our youth, Mm -hmm. but it's clearly perpetuated by our systemic uh, issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm pretty sure that was the school I went to. Mm -hmm. And I was in the HC program at that time. So it it was a hot mess of Mm -hmm. um, culture shock for Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. In my uh, so I went to Seattle Public Schools until uh, sixth grade mm. and then my parents moved to Shoreline mm. and then I went through the Shoreline School District, which I call a private public school. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. You want to unpack that a little bit like in a. I mean, I'll get to give you examples. Like I just yeah. remember being blown away by like uh, our, ba- our basketball, our girls basketball team went to uh, state. Mm hmm. And they paid buses and allowed us to all leave. What? Yeah, yeah. For the day. That's right. When right. I worked in like, Kent Ridge, that's what, I mean. that's what would happen all the time. Kids would be gone for days to go watch the sports teams. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, we I had, hadn't thought about it being like a function of that. I mean, that's what I call yeah. it, right? And yeah. so yeah. we have like like our parking our parking lot or whatever, but it was like Hummers and BMWs. <laughs> we like live next to like a gated community. Yeah. Our um, senior, um, what is it called? Like a senior trip mm. that schools have like mm. people go to yeah. like what is it like um like i don't know somewhere down yeah i know like, like to have a barbecue like down on the side of water or something oh, i don't know us. pick a spot yeah right? no theirs yeah. was in jamaica ah, what? like there's no one hell i'm going there yeah. i don't know who else is going there that sort yeah. of thing right um, our senior trip was to like a, a bounce house and like a go-kart place <laughs> yeah, that's what i mean yeah that's in what south I mean. seattle it was like, really it was fun senior so it's a it's a private public school another thing they had and this is later this is not when i was there but it was um, mm-hmm. not too long later because 
Um, I worked as an advisor and then a uh, academic counselor for mm. Rainer Scholars for a period of time. And some of my students actually uh, attended uh, Shoreline School District. And when they were there, they all had laptops <laughs> in, in, in middle and in high school. I yeah. said, see, like, that's cool. Like, yeah. that's cool. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. great. Like, you can do so much yeah. when you have access to mm-hmm. technology that way. So that was not the criticism. It was just that then don't deny mm. that you are funding in a very particular way for a very particular reason to maintain a very particular status. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And at one point, I actually worked at the Shoreline City Manager's Office as mm-hmm. an intern. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned there was we Shoreline became a school district before it became a city. Oh, mm. that's interesting. Mm. Oh. And you know why? Yeah. Because yeah, they wanted to insulate the kind of tax bracket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of, I mean, it worked, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Hence the the nods. Mm-hmm. You can't see in studio, but there's a lot of well, head, head nodding. nodding. It's <laughs> nodding. And we're all like giving each other nodding. like, oh, shame bell. There we go. Hey. 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 Perfect. <laughs> Although we have Tanisha Brendan Felder there That's now awesome. who's just working it all out. So awesome. there's there's some good stuff going on there too. So why did awesome. you decide to become a teacher? Yeah. Where did where'd the oh, idea come from? That's a great question. So, um, um, I was always kind of in a role of, um, like coaching or, mm. or like, I don't, I don't, part of this is already going to feel uncomfortable because it sounds ego driven, but I've been like, <laughs> just crushed. say it. Just I will, say it. I will, but I also will say that it's because of my, um, colleagues and coalition yeah. of people of color who are telling me I need to, mm-hmm. that I am, am going to try to live mm. that because they, they tell, okay. So I was always in positions of coaching. Oftentimes it was people of color um, had uh, opportunities for leadership. And then there was a point when I realized that my peers of color were not benefiting from education mm-hmm. the way I was. Mm-hmm. And I had privileges, not just my white dad, although that was a privilege. He didn't know education, so he didn't really advance mm-hmm. me. It was more mm-hmm. so his sense of entitlement mm-hmm. that made me go I am also entitled mm-hmm. not that he actually helped me yeah. through the process because he didn't he didn't go he didn't yeah. graduate from college so yeah. he couldn't help me in that way yeah. and they did not fund it to be clear as well so I um, you know went to my bachelor I went through um, Shoreline Community College um, mm, I'm trying to feel like where is this whole story going so in my junior year of college, sophomore year of college, I uh, converted to Islam, mm-hmm. and I pretty much skipped my junior year of junior year of not college, sorry, high school, mm-hmm. to uh, teach uh, kids how to read the Quran, mm-hmm. and that was a very fulfilling time for me. But that meant that I didn't get co- uh, credits yeah. to graduate, yeah. right? So then when I came back and participated more, uh, I only option I had was alternative ed mm-hmm. to do like credit, like extra, right? Yeah. But it was all online, and that was super tedious for me. So I, like, flipped through it really fast, um, which meant I would fulfill a quarter's worth in half a quarter. Mm. And then I had the opportunity to actually um, uh, lead the class in other academic stuff, which, f- like, continued to kind of fuel my identity as a educator. Yeah. Simultaneously, I had a friend who had a um, AKA... Big brother, big sister. She was a sister, mm-hmm. AKA, but she happened to be part of AKA. And then she coached us. Well, then the year after that, we created a step team. So then that became my spot. Um, and so kind of just knowing that 
there are so many people and all of my peers and all of my peers of color who are just like caught up in mm. not getting what they mm. need, certainly with a foundation. So then I said, okay, well, let me figure out what I'm going to do in college. Fast. I mean, there's so many different pieces to the story that I, I guess I'm not going to tell right now. But when I got into the university, uh, I was a transfer student. So I took two years of Shoreline Community College, took black studies, had amazing mm-hmm. educators, mm-hmm. were like really fulfilling, and um, and decided one to do education policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and... In education policy, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to study politics, uh, philosophy, history, English. One of those things are going to work out. Mm -hmm. And I, because of my my own personal background and not having, I mean, my parents, like, I don't think voted for, like, a hell of a long time. I'm not even sure if they paid all their taxes. (laughs) Like, they were not really into politics. I didn't have access. And so for that period of time, I actually would watch um, Meet the Press, like, Mm, early Sunday mornings just to have that. And so I was clearly out of shape for the political science Mm, class. mm. And so philosophy is what I landed in. Um, And so I said, either I'm going to go into law and be an education, uh, like, policy lawyer, yeah, maybe even a child advocate, um, specifically around education, or, because I know me, I will never listen to someone who's not a teacher mm. to tell me what it is I have to do to teach. Hmm. So, if I thought I was ever going to be in a position to tell someone how to teach, I better be a teacher. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was kind of the conclusion I yeah. made. So, I ended up um, studying sign language, um, which has That's some really right. interesting yeah. um, correlations between our civil rights and our, and our um, uh, you know, marginalized groups of people and things like that. Um, and that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. I had a great friend who was black in that, in that work. Um, and I had a fork in the road. So, I did my senior thesis um, as uh, looking at the pedagogy of Paula Ferrer and Lisa Del Pet's uh, Other People's Children. and, and oh, the book. Yeah. yeah. And I had yeah. to actually present at a uh, philosophy symposium. Yeah. And so that was kind of my, th- right, mm. that was the end. Mm. So then I had a fork in the road. Mm. Am I going to do uh, sign language interpreting, which would have always been through the lens of racial equity, too, yeah. Yeah. or become a teacher? And I went through the teacher route. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of how we got to that point. So it's interesting you mentioned that there were a number of teachers of color that you had. Was that mostly in college or was that mm-hmm. in high school? Did I say that? No, I was saying I know a bunch of teachers. Oh, got of it. Okay. Now, I literally now. had two that I could remember. Okay. Cuz I was, was just thinking about yeah, there's a, a lot of people are writing and talking about how the fact that they have never mm-hmm. had so you had one in high school, one in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like um they had more influence in terms of shaping your ultimate decision to become a teacher or Kind of just in addition to all the other things that were pushing you that way. So in K-12, pre-K-12, here's a fun story. When I was in kindergarten, we had to do a uh, collage, color collage. Here's some magazines. You're red, you're green, you're blue, whatever. Uh, Pick all the things that match that color and put them on. Well, I was brown. (laughs) I think we have some ebony books that were in the space yeah my collage was all brown women in bikinis <laughs> that's kind of awesome and for me i just was it wasn't yeah. until the shock yeah. of others faces that yeah. it was like apparent right <laughs> <laughs> and so that was kind of maybe the first memory i yeah. have of going oh yeah brown in education there's mm. a difference mm-hmm. uh in in, in that mm. um 
the other educator of color that I had and, and other educators of importance in my K-12 was um, not instrumental in my program. However, when I was in high school, we had a VP who was a black woman. And her name was um, Winifred. She let us call her by her first name. I wish I knew her last name just yeah. so I could say it on air so someone else could know her. But yeah. I just can't right now. And she invested mm. so hard in a school that was primarily white, mm. but she invested in the students of color. So the opportunities yeah. I had was, uh, there was um, in the Spokane, uh, what, Western, right? They had a Teachers uh, of Color conference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. She paid for all of us, though. Oh. They had, UW had awesome. a, like, a, like coding for mm. oh, yeah. kids of color yeah. or black kids. Yeah. She paid for us. Yeah. I mean, like, she was mm. our advocate. And I won't necessarily say that was the the thing that led me to teaching, but it was that that yeah. made it so I knew I could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, the black educator in uh, the university, in this was Seattle, uh, Seattle University, he was actually my uh, independent studies. That was the one who led me through... Um, my my writing, the mm-hmm. one that I just yeah. described. Yeah. He led, so Seattle University at the time, I don't know if they still do this, but they had like themes. Mm-hmm. And that year it was African studies. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was a philosophy major. Yeah. So basically what it meant is whatever major you had, you had a, um, a theme yeah. option within your major. Mm-hmm. So we had an African philosophy class and that he led. He was a Nigerian awesome. man, led a, a symposium, senior symposium. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. Was he instrumental in making me go, this is, mm-hmm. this could be. Mm-hmm. So how did you move from um, teaching elementary school to now the work that you do as the director? Mm. It seems like that. Not everyone would make that mm-hmm. switch, right? Because a lot of folks either stay in the classroom or they stay in the school and move up mm-hmm. into admin or do move laterally into their coaching so what yeah what's the what was the impetus for your going to your current work well it's interesting that you added those other areas mm-hmm. i will say there's absolutely no one hell <laughs> i will be an admin yeah. like that's just Crazy. not gonna happen yeah. we're like the same family no no way in yeah i'll yeah. lean in the mic a little bit there as you're uh <laughs> yeah, declaring there's, your there's no way in hell no way no i will be an admin uh that's just that's just uh i don't even talk about that i'll just say that yeah okay. um and then um as far as the coaching and stuff, honestly, and this is part of my work now, is probably um, imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah. So maybe shoulda, coulda, woulda. Maybe I could have done consulting. Maybe I could have done some sort of thing, but there's no way that I thought I could. Yeah. Mm. So I would not have pursued that. Um, I was lucky enough to be at a school that I considered my forever school. Like, I could see myself yeah. staying there yeah. forever, finally. like this. That's, is... I think when I met you, you were there, yeah. and you seemed really happy and, and satisfied with the work that you were doing. It was challenging, but also, like, rewarding. Mm-hmm. But fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I always think, like, the challenge of this work is the moments of fulfillment when yeah. children then achieve, yeah. despite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and one of the tactics and tactics sounds negative but that's not really what i mean because i use tactics too but one of the tactics of the union is once they identify someone that they think might be a leader Mm -hmm. they kind of pursue you yeah you know they show up and talk to you about stuff make sure you know about stuff make sure you have access to stuff and so um i was kind of pursued i actually can't really put a finger on why like i was not part of the union i mean i paid my dues and all that but i wasn't active i wasn't Mm -hmm. a rep Mm -hmm. i didn't know much about union work mm-hmm. in general, so I don't know mm-hmm. why I was. But um, but eventually, an application became available, and they had already 
talked me up a bit. Um, and so I applied and then interviewed and then mm. got the position. And I, I remember having the conversation about it being a, um, do I really want this? Yeah. I don't know what this is. And I'm at a school that I would love to stay at. Yeah. So now what? And when I, and, you know, but there's, you know, given that I told you already that my original idea was to be in education policy, this was kind of that place. Mm. So it was Mm. Um, I was fine with forever teaching, but if I ever was interested in education policy, then this mm. is what would have been the opportunity to do that work. Yeah. So yeah. I had to consider it under that kind of thought. Yeah. So can you describe what the center does? Um, I mean, it, I, from it seems like it's pretty unique in terms of the work that it does compared to like what's really happening across the country. Although I'm I'm guessing that there was probably some other model. No. Yes. All right. Talk about <laughs> like how did this get envisioned? What exactly do you do? I mean, I have the mission statement here I can read, but I'd rather go, hear it go from ahead you. and read it and then I'll talk about okay. it. Uh, so the mission of the Center for Racial Equity is to empower educators both individually and collectively to dismantle racial injustice in the Seattle Education Association, our schools, our communities and our profession. And I just love that mission statement on all the levels. <laughs> you know, the English teacher, I'm like, awesome. Ooh, parallelism. Yeah. And I like how you have all these strong communities. Yeah. Um, but then also what it seems like I feel like what I understand about those words also is really complex and um, needed. And so, yeah, talk, how did how did this thing come about? Um, why does it mm-hmm. exist this way? What do you guys, what are you all doing that's different? So we're in year three. Yeah. When I got hired, it was funded via a NEA grant. And at the time, they were doing something mm-hmm. kind of like regional um, institutes, mm-hmm. this idea that uh, places regionally across the U.S. would be able to provide a similar mm-hmm. sort of institute, and then people didn't have to travel very far. Mm-hmm. But then locals would be responsible for delivering whatever the content was. Yeah, And they called it an equity institute. So literally, my first uh, title was uh, project leader mm-hmm. of like the equity institute or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but I was like, that's was like, how the hell I'm teaching nobody something when we ain't doing shit. Like, that's, just not, that's not gonna be a thing. Um, and so uh, one of the first things we did is we did one on ones with people who have already either I knew or otherwise were identified as leaders of color. Uh, we did focus groups regionally and got a bunch of people together and 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 try to address that. And then I do have to have a shout out to Montgomery County uh, in Virginia because they had some amazing stuff that they had developed, right? And they had created not just an equity institute via the the NEA thing I had just referred to, but like really their own sort Mm -hmm. of model. And they led groups of people who were coming to try to figure out what it is Mm -hmm. they're going to bring back. Yeah. What was interesting was even though... We were clearly new. Like So I got hired in, brought in about August, September, had a no damn clue what I was doing, mm-hmm. and no one else did either. Mm. In November is when we went to this uh, Montgomery County uh, Institute, and it was a four-day workshop sort of thing. And I brought uh, five educators. A couple of them I actually met in the focus group, so they cool. weren't— um, planted yeah <laughs> you know, they yeah. weren't you know given to me for, for lack of a better way of yeah. words like like these are much people more organic I, like grassroots oh yeah. Like, yeah these are people that i actually thought could help lead this work mm-hmm. and one of them was tracy castro gill uh, yes that was a focus group mm-hmm. she was part of that montgomery time yeah amazing work it was then that we decided we changed our name 
mm. Center for Racial Equity, well, Center for Race and Equity, and we more recently changed to Racial Equity. Okay. It was then that we shaped our mission statement, the one that you read, yeah. with slight edits. Um, and so that was kind of really the launch. And by the end of that first year, we had a summit, a leadership summit. Mm. Um, and and that was when educators finally could see themselves within union work. Mm-hmm as leaders for change as educators. I think one of maybe maybe the biggest things that I've seen in this work is that, just like me, our system did not um, tell educators they had power. Mm. I mean, you have, you know, leadership and power in your, like, classroom. Yeah, and in some ways, you're expected to have that. Yep. Mm. But systemic change, systemic power, there, mm. that was not a message that was really given. Mm-hmm. So the work that I've seen from from the beginning until now has been a shift to actually the only way this stuff changes mm. is if educators are mm. leading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, sure, we need leadership in all le- levels of the system. But when you and this is also proven via research, too, that yeah. if you start thinking about what initiatives are actually successfully implemented mm. is only when educators buy it right. and actually yeah. agree. Because we actually have to do the work and make it happen on the ground. Mm-hmm. So your sweet little policy that sounds great on paper is actually not realistic when people aren't mm-hmm. trained and people don't understand and right. they weren't part of that conversation to begin with. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the work over the last three years, you know, what do you feel is something um, that you feel like you've accomplished? Like something that oh. feels feels good? I mean, there, I, I, think of, I can think of a lot of things, but like I don't even know that much about what you guys all do, so... What do, you, what do you feel good about? What do you feel good about? Um, I just remember, I, you know, I got hired in August. It was yeah. literally a double-sided piece of paper that was probably used for the grant. It was a brain dump of people that didn't have a clue about what it is I was going to do. Yeah. Very likely, it was a one-year position mm. at a time. Sorry, I remember that, yeah. Right. And so there wasn't anything. There's a whole lot of flying the plane, reading the manual, finding the parts, yeah. <laughs> like all of it yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So. I remember someone um, asking me maybe two weeks into being hired with a very uh, someone who's still in my space with a very stern sort of like prove yourself sort of attitude. Right. What is it that you envision? I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) My vision is. I said, so look, if I can get people to understand the difference between equity and equality and have open conversations about it. Mm-hmm. then that's what I feel I've achieved. Mm. That's good. So as part of that kind of vision, which I think is a through line, um, in Montgomery County, we learned about Paul Gorski, uh, the equity literacy mm. framework. We uh, pitch it as the racial equity literacy framework yeah. to be really specific. Can you explain why you shifted it to that? Racial? Yeah, because I don't know that everyone knows. Can you yeah, talk a little bit about that? Well, sure. Why is um, that more important or why is that adjective an important adjective? I mean, I don't know necessarily even if it's more important. I think there's space everywhere for equity literacy. But when we really are trying to get out the systemic changes mm-hmm. that allow for inequities across the board, it is based in racial mm-hmm. inequity. So we might be able to address LGBTQI issues. Mm. We might be able to address feminist issues, mm-hmm. you know, all those sorts of things. But if we're not actually addressing racial inequities mm. and mm. identifying the systemic barriers and the way it's upheld systemically, mm. then honestly, I just think it's going to all come back anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So because that's really kind of the the, the basis of how we've mm. created that, at least in the U.S. Um, and, and then allowed it per- to perpetuate. So. Mm. 
Um, for the Center for Racial Equity, we want to focus on that. What's been interesting is some people who have challenged and said, well, what about religious equity or what mm-hmm. about um, LGBTQ? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because if we think about the intersectionality of right. that, yep. mm-hmm. then we can address it racially. Yeah. yeah. And then they kind of look at me wide eye like, wait, no, I didn't actually mean to also talk about race. I was like, oh, well, we can talk about LGBTQ issues and our trans black folk. If that's yeah. really where mm-hmm. we're trying to go. Mm-hmm. And often they just kind of nod and be like, oh, okay. Thanks mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, all the other inequities that we actually might be able to affect, if we're not talking about race, we are still living out not only a, gr- a huge group of people that are infected, uh, affected more, but also not addressing the systemic mm-hmm. issues that uphold all of the inequities. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, equity literacy and specifically racial equity literacy. But what um, what does that mean? So I think uh, one of the ways we try to talk about it is it's the difference between understanding equity and inequity and justice and and injustice. Mm -hmm. Like, can you recognize when something is not just? Right. Mm -hmm. Can you recognize when something is not equitable? Not because you read an article about it. Not because it's someone's appearance. But that's the best way. If I read it on Facebook, then it's fine. And then it'll I happen, it. right? Yeah. And then I liked it. And yeah. I maybe put a heart emoji. I even shared you know? it, even though I didn't read yes. it. Yes. <laughs> hey, right. shame on all the times I may, have done, may or may not have done that. I don't may know. Maybe. Or may or may not have. I you know, the, the best way to share those sorts of things is not to comment on them. And then no one knows what your real opinion is. Oh, and then just looks like there you, you go. Pro tip. opinion about it. Just saying. That's awesome. <laughs> so I say you. that. So that's what equity literacy, liter- you know, like any other form of literacy, like, yeah. are you aware of? Do right. you understand? Okay. Uh, can you pick it up? Cool. Um, let's take a quick break and then okay. I have some more questions around good. that topic. Oh my gosh, Annie. So when's your next vacation? I don't know. It's really hard to plan. There's like a me, Angela, baby. It's hard to travel with a baby. So I'm kind of, I don't know, this like kind of vacation sober right now you know what I'm saying <laughs> well you need to get away like make a getaway and get yeah. away and plus haven't you been building up your Alaska miles well obviously what self-respecting Seattle Tacoma area traveler does not have an Alaska mileage number I have my memorized hashtag true confessions oh, really that's kind of awesome it is really the best though when even when I don't fly I can build miles with purchases on my Alaska credit card which uh, is cool I like that yeah, I love it. We book trips using Miles all the time. One year, Nate and I gorge ourselves on barbecue in Kansas City Ooh. by using our like Miles and Companion Fair. Another year, we spent a week in New Orleans. You who can dat? just yeah, who dat who dat? I learned that you had to shout that everywhere you went. That's awesome. Yeah, this is going to be such a great way for you, your boo, and your baby to get away. Plus, your baggage fee is waived if you use Alaska credit card. That's so rad. You can pack all the diapers you want. I'm going to go check out fl- flights right now. All right. To book your next flight, visit alaskaair.com. We fly Alaska. You need to go to your computer right now, and you need to support Channel 253 by becoming a subscribing member because it's only $4 a month. So replace that one coffee with a subscription, and it will vastly improve your life. Amen. (laughs) I feel like we need an ending on that. (laughs) Amen is good. And we're back. So, um... Let's pick up talking about racial literacy and what does that mean? Equity literacy, I should say, um, more specifically. So thinking about um, the, the steps you kind of mentioned already, like just recognizing um, the subtle forms of discrimination, um, inequities, the justice versus injustice around, which I think is actually 
pretty difficult for some people anyway. Um, or as we've talked before on the show, like you might feel woke or aware of certain kinds of inequities, mm. but then you're totally missing and you have a blind spot in something else. And, and just that idea of like we're always growing um, to get better at that. But then like once you recognize it, what do you what do people need to do? Well, <laughs> do I mean, something, I assume. <laughs> well, so the, the racial equity literacy framework from Paul Gorski, which yeah. actually, fun fact, is uh, our logo. So our mm-hmm. logo, uh, if you ever Googled it or posted it in some sort of mm-hmm. way, has three squares and then kind of has this, like, a uh, winding yeah. shape in it. Mm-hmm. And basically those three squares are recognize, respond, and redress. Mm-hmm. And then the shape kind of mm-hmm. in it is a C and an S, which means create and sustain, mm-hmm. which is the fourth part. Yep. So basically you recognize, or at least tune into being able to recognize, yeah. I would say it like that. Redress is almost like, what is your immediate response? Mm. Um, and usually that in and of itself is not institutionalized. It's just how are you going to like mm. deal with what's mm. happening in your space, in your classroom, in your, in your, in your school, in, in, your, in your interaction, whatever. Um, and then it's, oh, sorry, that was the respond. Redress is when we start to think of um, how do we start changing our institutional policies, practices, mm-hmm. and procedures so that we are actively or proactively responding to things that we know happen mm-hmm. because we've um, already seen it. Mm-hmm. Like, we've had to respond to something, mm-hmm. therefore we have to figure out how are we going to correct it for next time because we know mm-hmm. it might happen again. Yeah. And then finally, I think this is kind of where Seattle stops. Seattle oh, being a city and yeah. Seattle being, um, educa- you know, Seattle Education Association yeah. and Seattle Public Schools, all of the above, mm-hmm. is that we, re- we we might create something with the redress, right? We have a new policy. Yeah. Not new, actually, uh, which is part of the, what exactly I was saying is that 0030. And we have these things that, like, seemingly are institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we're not actively sustaining them right. with additional practices— then it feels like a badge that we can put on. And yeah. then you've accomplished it. Now here's your little mm-hmm. merit badge or whatever. Can you walk us through like an example of where uh, an issue that you feel like either the center's worked with or you've seen just kind of happen in schools in terms of walking through these steps? Like they recognize this was an issue, there was some response this way, and then this is how they're readdressing. Um, hmm. Hmm. I have to think about that. Uh, let me let me add a little bit okay. to some of this conversation, yeah. which is that one of the things the Center for Racial Equity offers is a space for education, educator leader development. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it's through our um, racial equity coaches yeah. program. Oh, yeah. So there's some history uh, around our uh, Seattle Public Schools racial equity teams. But the racial equity coaches at this point are um, coaching individually the newest teams that mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. So I say a lot of that has been through that work. A lot of their coaching and then uh, uh, connected to our professional development that the Center for Racial Equity provides mm-hmm. to the coaches in recognition of their educator leadership uh, and their of color uh, positioning in their schools. And this is district-wide, right? This is district-wide. So, like, you have these many teams, just for people that aren't familiar mm-hmm. with Seattle schools. So, district-wide, there's a, a handful of people in each school who would be identified as part of the team, and then they receive coaching? Yeah. So, at the, I think we have, like, 114 schools okay. in Seattle Public Schools. Yeah. At this point, 50 of them oh, okay. are formally yeah. uh, racial equity teams. There's another... 10 or so that are informal yeah they're either informal because they just weren't accepted at some point or because they're just starting yeah Mm. okay when a team is formally accepted um that's a new court so we're at court five 
and the racial equity coaches that are all led via the Center for Racial Equity that are educator leaders, educators in their school are leading those teams. And those people work full time as coaches and as teachers? Or is it like half and half or how does they it... work full time as teachers? OK. Hmm. And then they and then also work their ass off. As yeah, coaches that's wild. And as whatever is needed. Yeah. So but the other part of that is then um, and this is all part of this whole idea of educator leadership development. Mm-hmm. They also create professional development. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So they created the recognize, respond, redress and create mm-hmm. and sustain that's workshops awesome. yeah. that are then offered not only to the racial equity teams, but district wide. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the you know, something I really wanted to make sure that was shared because all of the educator leader mm-hmm. professional development that has now been super picked up. Like, for instance, the very first we had a recognize or a, a, we called it racial equity literacy one on one. We literally didn't advertise it until like a week before mm-hmm. 35 people signed up yeah that's awesome wow 50 some people showed up <laughs> oh my goodness so like well then you're gonna have to share copies cool. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> like we're gonna figure it out we're out of yeah. school yeah, yeah that's machines. awesome so I'm just saying like this is <laughs> yeah. this is definitely but yeah. what, what was what's the shift yeah. is that it's all educator led yeah that's, that's awesome. awesome that's really yeah. great and I think something that keeps striking me about it, though, too, is like it's also union oriented in that sense, because like mm. I think one of the criticisms that has happened about education associations across the country, but I'll speak to like Washington in my experience is is the notion that education associations are really focused on like contract issues. Right. So labor issues, labor yeah. issues. Right. So pay and like working conditions, which is all what I want my union to focus on as well. But I think in Washington, we've kind of wrestled with this notion of like, how do we be also leaders in professional? learning and how do we transform professional learning not to just be like some thing that you fill out some dumb paperwork hate clock hours uh, but also just like you <laughs> for those people that know what that is but like just thinking about what does it mean to transform the way that we talk about our profession yeah. and the way we think about what we're doing with students and and with each other and how do we grow and well, so how do you get that union, really inspiring to me absolutely and how do you get that union professional development to go beyond this is how you felt your your riff paperwork Right. What's I mean, Riff Annie? I don't actually know what it stands for. Uh, I actually don't know what it stands for either. Uh, so shame <laughs> on us. I know. What, I know. What the you don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, hey, that's me. And she's looking at me like you don't know what that is. I expected you're the person. It's like government. I feel like it's a. It's a. I mean, it's an acronym. It means like released in some. I don't know, but it's basically means you're dumped. I know what the impact is. Yeah, but we have we have this paperwork we felt, and I know every school district has something similar. But you basically have to prove your worth in like this one page worksheet, and then give it to your principal in a sealed on envelope and then whoever gets cut they, yeah. they mm-hmm. grab your envelope and yeah. so then I have two points to share one is what, is, yeah. what we've done within yeah. the union because I am now an elected off officer yes. yeah. but mm-hmm. I'll come mm-hmm. back to that what's okay. more importantly right now because it's really urgent yep. so I have a total of 20 people that are actively part of what I guess if we had to name it would be like staff or yeah. something mm-hmm. with, uh, with Center for Racial Equity at least a quarter of them are displaced So we not only have educators of color who are displaced, and yet we're trying to say that we're working on keeping Mm. educators of color. Mm. Mm -hmm. Then we have racial equity, like knowledgeable scholars who are displaced, Mm -hmm. which can have a transformative role in their school Mm. being able to affect, you know, whatever changes they think they're doing. And then on top of that, we have the like the 
constant trauma, which is one of the things that we mm-hmm. heard from educators of color, especially paraeducators and SEOPs yeah. of color, which yeah. are disproportionately higher of color anyway, saying that mm-hmm. they are constantly in a hostile work environment, not mm-hmm. just because the admin sucks and their, edu- you know, yeah. their, their colleagues suck, but also because they're always threatened. How the hell do we think that someone's going to be achieving in that? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And so this is kind of urgent for me because mm-hmm. I have amazing educators who are part yeah. of my team who are now in mm-hmm. a place of trauma. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with with that? Shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, don't get me. So so because the group, um, the larger group is so amazing. Yeah. It will very likely turn into a movement. Yeah. It will very likely turn into some sort of organizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll strategize the way we've done for testing. Yeah. For... I feel like Seattle's really good about organizing. I mean, despite like you wish you didn't have the conditions which you have to respond and organize in that way. But also there's a lot of power that you all have um, in, in your organizing mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's kind of what we're, where we're at. I'm hoping it, it makes that change. Mm-hmm. Um, which reminds me, for instance, uh, can I do a shout on a, a yeah. couple of blogs of my yeah. colleagues? Okay. So we have Tracy Castro Gill's blog, yep. right? Yeah. And so um, I only, well, I think I'd seen Tracy online on some social media stuff, but I recently um, heard her share her story at the Ignite TED. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget the official title, but I'll link to it. And her story is just amazing about the work that she's doing um, with the center and how she kind of got to that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. That's pretty inspiring. So she has a blog. She has teacheractivist.com. Yep. And then I have another educator of color uh, who is a racial equity coach, but also just an amazing person, also happens to be an ethnic studies curriculum writer. Yep. Her name is uh, Caitlin Kamala Jenkins, yep. and she has a blog called Colorful Pages. And so she kind of does a focus on um, uh, literacy that is appropriate for recognizing uh, students of color, cool. cultural responsiveness, et cetera, like that. But what I, and then, you know, I have other amazing people. Like I could just name all my yeah. people. Alma, Alonzo, Jennifer Charlton, yeah. uh, Yusana Jordan. I mean, I could just keep going. Um, you know, Erica Hireman. My concern is that these are the like some of the most activist, um, empowering, amazing, especially women of color. Yeah. Who are displaced? Yeah. Clearly, some may work, and if we're talking about having a yeah. strategic plan that right. says we are unapologetically supporting students of color, right. right, right, yeah. Well, then also when things like displacements or riffing happens, when we're in a teacher shortage and also a money shortage, yeah. you're like, yeah. how is this? How is this? Um, how is this good for kids? You know? Yeah. So in the case, um, I'm thinking about people who aren't necessarily teachers listening. One thing I feel like that can be done, just in terms of like vocalizing is is speaking up about it right and pointing that out and saying hey mm-hmm. what's going on seattle public schools like mm-hmm. are you considering about the way that you're gonna you know riff these folks or yeah. like hire them back or like what are you doing to i think that community pressure can make a, a big mm-hmm. difference do you have any other recommendations for folks who like are listening and think that they want to do something related i'll say this i'll say um sometimes seattle is very often thought of as or at least this is the phrase we use and i'd actually promote so i can Kind of get picked up and hashtagged or something, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that we're passive progressive. Mm. So when we gentrify a neighborhood, we put up our Black Lives Matter sign. Like, you know, that's how I feel like a lot of people. Why have I not heard that term before? Passive progressive. Did you make that? That's okay. I did not. Actually, I'll have to just like like, hashtag Kate Eads for that, who's a librarian activist in our our (laughs) district. But basically, what ends up happening is I can say all this stuff. I can say this, like, yeah, you know, talk to your board, talk to Mm -hmm. the legislator. 
But just like every other time we've seen that if it doesn't directly affect you or you don't yeah. realize, yeah. I mean, it does affect you. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. But if you don't realize how it affects you, then where's the energy to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I want to say one of the things that if you are at all inclined, if you're a listener at all inclined at like figuring out how this uh, this is all affecting our system and our mm-hmm. racism and everything else that you may or may not be concerned about is to call out hypocrisies yeah. and look yep, for yep, them yep. Mm-hmm. because they're there. Oh, my goodness. We have a strategic plan mm-hmm. that literally has the words unapologetic to our students of color. Mm-hmm. While we're That's interesting phrasing. I don't even know how I feel about because you're unapologetic, but then also like apologizing. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> what is the idea behind that? Is it so that like. Yeah, what's the idea behind it? Well, here's it, the guess. hypocrisy, yeah. right? So they have this this um, this uh, strategic plan, unapologetic. Mm-hmm. I was not at all included in any yeah. way, shape, or form. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be like. I mean, shame. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Don't there get me wrong. Go. Like I'm not all the all the all. Yeah. Like everybody needs to contact me. But if but you you're have the director a union, of, of the center, right? That has this is the only union that has a racial equity. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like elected, funded. Mm-hmm. equal to president and vice president and other leadership in the field mm-hmm. and your district then mm-hmm. comes up with this stuff talking about we're going to address racial equity mm-hmm. and nobody talked to me mm-hmm. I mean it's not about me and Marquita but the organization like the work you, y'all doing yeah right so that's yeah. what I mean yeah mm-hmm. so there's just there's just a lot of hypocrisies all over the place and matter of fact if you if you look at um, Tracy uh, what uh, blog? Mm. You'll see some that she just unapologetically, mm-hmm. using their own words, <laughs> calls their stuff out. Yeah, so, like, good. use that. If you are a listener and you are a parent or you're in the community, use the stuff that basically says hold true to the things that you claiming mm. that yes. you actually yeah. want to do. Yeah. That's how you then yeah. put pressure. Yeah. yeah, I have a. I was wondering about. Um, Based on your experience and your work, what are some of the for students and families? What are some of the racial equity issues right now that are really affecting students and families in Seattle? Well, there's a few. I mean, one of the first impacts is that librarians are going to be cut and we didn't yeah. have enough in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That just is ridiculous. I just was hearing about how far that's going. And I, I think I, I like the, whatever. yeah, people mm-hmm. were just chit-chatting, but then now it's, can you talk a little bit about that for someone who doesn't know? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I think I know. Yeah. Um, I know that one of the impacts is that so so this has been true for many years was that a school might get a point five, which yeah. means mm-hmm. a half time, which yeah. means the librarian is there for a certain amount of hours, usually mm-hmm. two and a half days or something like yeah. that. If they want a full time job, they're probably then splitting their time with another school. Sometimes that's not the mm-hmm. case, but either way, the school doesn't get hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get a full time librarian. Sometimes they can pay up and create a, a, a um uh, what's called a, like a release time. We use the acronym PCP. I don't really know what that means, but that's when the teacher gets a break and the kids go elsewhere to a specialist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can use the librarian for that, which then will allow for a full-time librarian. Mm-hmm. But that's tricky. So for years, a school might get um, funding for half-time librarian, mm-hmm. and then the school would have to choose to use certain funds to then you know, fulfill the second half. Well, this year it's been cut even more, and I think it's especially affecting high schools. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means that there might actually be high schools that are not even funded for a librarian at all. Which means that the funds that you may have used with the sacrifice yeah. to create a full time position, you're now using to create a point five position. Mm-hmm. What's the rationale for getting rid of libraries? I mean, it seems like it's just in a very archaic. 
There's no rationale. <laughs> it's, like, just, it's just a matter High of, schoolers don't need libraries. What? Well, it's like, not. They don't read. Do you they, think it's what? maybe seen as like non-essential in the sense that it's not? they're not classroom teachers? The rest of us know that they are essential, but like, do you think that's the rationale coming from people who aren't in the classroom? But most librarians <sighs> have a teacher. They're, certi- they're, they're listed as certificated staff members, right. which means that they count for those who aren't, don't know. They count the same yeah. way that classroom teachers I do. I guess maybe it's just, I'm wondering if it's maybe that they don't have the same level of... Um, this is going to sound awful because I respect librarians so much, but that in the eyes of some like higher up folks, they don't have the same credibility as a classroom teacher or the same usefulness. I mean, I don't think there's a rationale. Okay. What I think is happening is things are being cut so tight mm-hmm. that especially for high school, there's mm-hmm. a specific requirement for graduation. Like yeah. you need a certain number of high school, <laughs> I mean, a history classes if right. you're going to accommodate all the credits of the students that need to get them to graduate, right? Yeah. So then you're going to keep your history teachers, right? right? But if you can only keep 10 teachers and nine of them must be history <laughs> in order to accommodate mm-hmm. students' credits, then I guess the librarian's gone. I don't think it's a rationale against librarians. I think it's a yeah. we don't have the funds to keep the the systems that we have so the bare minimum is making sure that our kids can graduate mm-hmm. and and that's absolutely not okay yeah but i but i so because i yeah i mean mm-hmm. we're, if we're looking at the equity issues like who are the places that are able to raise money to keep their libraries hmm. mm-hmm. who are the places where they have the funding to purchase like we've talked on the show before about more diverse books or right. books that represent a wide range of reading ability and yeah. a, you know access points and interest levels and just just the fact that like public schools are even having this conversation mm-hmm. that we don't mm-hmm. think that they're important mm-hmm. and we're not thinking about mm-hmm. how that's an equity issue I mean PTA is having those conversations yep. now too district yep. you know district wide citywide um, we also have uh, for instance I know an educator who is an instructional assistant amazing instructional assistant mm-hmm. in a dual language program Spanish speaking culturally uh, you know that's her primary culture clearly then that in and of itself is an, is an asset to the students who are not only learning Spanish but Spanish speaking students right. like as a prime yeah. right mm-hmm. well she got displaced because it's cheaper to hire two mm-hmm. uh, educators from Spain which I will uh. say that the dual language educators not the department yeah. mm-hmm. but the educators have said uh, we can just like go to Mexico or all the other places that our kids are actually from yeah. mm-hmm. and hire some of them why are we going to Spain yeah. mm-hmm. but the impact means that our district can hire two Spain mm-hmm. uh, teachers to replace the one uh, you know Spanish speaking instructional assistant mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. stating you know what their value is of, mm-hmm. of, yeah. of those educators so right. there's stuff like that happening yeah. too no, it was in the news recently that there was um a, I don't I only heard about one elementary school and I don't know if it was at more than one elementary school but that had sent letters home encouraging families to um have their students break fast for Ramadan, um, and so I like what do you I mean when things like that come up what is your what is the role of the center in kind of um addressing that I mean like well, how do you what do you do. <laughs> Well, in that particular case, yeah. uh, school does not need to be named because I think anyone can Google it if they want yep. to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were actually already on schedule. Okay, so uh, another part of me is that I have trained with the Families of Color Seattle, which is a mm-hmm. nonprofit organization that supports families of color in Seattle uh, in a variety of ways, one of which is to provide um, like parent groups, basically, for mm-hmm. uh, young children or yeah. newborn children. And cool. I actually started kind of within the My baby was 10 days old and we were in this little monkey outfit, like he's so tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was a connection. So um, one of the things they offer 
is trainings to yeah. schools and oftentimes via PTA. So I've already kind of been at that particular mm-hmm. school and other schools as well. Now in my role and with Tracy Castro-Gill and her role, we were already scheduled to provide a series of trainings to their staff, starting with Racial Equity Literacy hmm. 101 and hmm. including um, uh, like combating uh, white supremacy hmm. and then eventually uh, ethnic studies and, some, and culture responsive teaching and things like that. And then the snow didn't happen, which then uh, pushed it back to the day after that particular mm-hmm. incident hit. Mm-hmm. So we didn't address it in our meeting, but we called it out as just, we all know there's an elephant in the room. We're going to be telling you some things about what you should know. Mm-hmm. Put it, uh, connect it to this situation. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the thing that we would do. Mm-hmm. We don't have, I mean, Center for Racial Equity, uh, hard, uh, it's hard because it, uh, I'm a staff of one. Mm-hmm. Right. So it often comes t- uh, to what are some of the walls or barriers I can I can individually remove yeah, yeah. for other things than to happen. Yes, yeah. Right. I can't write a like a district letter, quote unquote, right. to like yeah. move some change. But I can say I have five people that have other positional power that I can let know mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this incident. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of thing I can do. Yeah. Um, one other sense. thing I wanted to ask you about was um, I'd read a little bit about the Black Lives Matters at School initiative. Can you talk a little bit about that work and kind of where things are at with that? Mm-hmm. And so, like three years ago, I think it was uh, Seattle Public School, uh, Seattle Education Association, uh, Association, not the Seattle Public Schools, uh, with um, organizing from the Seattle uh, Equity Educators, which is a informal caucus. Informal meaning that they're not uh, officially a caucus of Seattle Education Association, but they are all Seattle Education Association uh, educators. Mm-hmm. So they um, kind of promoted this idea in response to um, a issue at Leshai elementary no i think it was john muir john muir elementary they were going to do a um uh you know the kind of the high five uh, mm-hmm. event with uh, uh as many uh, african-american leaders in the community and they had a bomb threat the district shut it down and that means all the anyway. teacher, all the people stand outside right and like mm-hmm. five kids coming in and so i think there's been a lot of like videos on social media of, of mm-hmm. this kind of work happening so it's not like a brand new surprising thing it was just the fact that there's the bomb threats because they were threatened by yeah and when they were threatened the district said stop and they did it anyway mm. and so it was kind of a response to supporting them yeah mm. that it's just like we are not going to be threatened mm. by these these you know white supremacist threats yeah mm-hmm. so if we really want to show up for John Muir and say we support you then we're going to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt Mm -hmm. Uh, on a particular day it happened it did it was great well we also encourage people to educate in the same frame yeah but the number one excuse was i don't we don't have any lessons we don't really know what to do we don't know how to do that we don't Mm -hmm. i don't like what's the expectations Mm -hmm. okay we'll help you out so then the next year we did a a week-long one um and uh via tracy castro gill and ethnic studies um curriculum writers which are all educators they actually created uh, curriculum for Black Lives Matter week. Mm-hmm. It was somewhat impromptu because it's like you don't get to use an excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that is the one, here, here. Like you could have just yeah. Googled teaching tolerance, but if you're not going to do that. <laughs> True. I mean, it's, tw- I was it's 2019. Like stop like, with our excuses right. of like, I can't find this thing. I really need, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Google? No, yeah. nobody yeah. got a pocket internet. computer in your, in your pocket. Right. So they did that. 
Yeah. Um, and then the next year, um, again, still with um, Seattle Education, Seattle Equity Educators, uh, and Tracy Castro Gill and her team, and Center for Racial Equity. That then was the national work cool. um, that created to the next uh, to this current year. Um, so, can I go back a bit yeah, just to a, a space that I, I didn't talk about because mm-hmm. we were asking about what is it the union mm-hmm. did? Yeah. When I first came on, I was hired, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of a weird hiring, um, just based on my positioning. And then a couple years later, my position was threatened. Mm. meaning uh, I would arbitrarily be let go and someone else arbitrarily, maybe seniority sort Mm -hmm. of way, would, like, get my position. Or the entire position, which means the entire center, would just collapse. Yeah. And so the only option at the time was a rock and a hard place. I was not okay with it. I was not accepting of it. But, again, rock and a hard place was that I became an elected member Mm -hmm. rather than a hired member. There's some pros and cons to that. But I am now an elected member, just like the president Mm -hmm. and the vice president are. Yeah. Yeah, that happened uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, And so the pro to that um, is that I'm on the board automatically. So I have my own board. There's an advisory board for the Center for Racial Equity. But I'm also on the Seattle Education Association's board. Mm. Two other coaches are also on the board, so that's very helpful, too. Cool. and I'm also part of the bigger team. So what that means is some of the some of the effects is that I can be part of the work for changing our policies and practices mm-hmm. for racial equity. One of our biggest changes was supporting um, building reps yeah. and addressing racial inequities because our uh, educators of color, our SEOPs, our um, office professionals, which mm-hmm. are often um, mostly educators of color, our paraeducators, which are often mostly educators mm-hmm. of color, were repeatedly saying they did not feel represented, yeah. mostly because the building reps had their own biases mm-hmm. or didn't know how to support them or whatever. There was just a variety of issues, but clearly around race. Mm-hmm. So me then being elected and then the union being prepared to address it meant mm-hmm. that I was part of reshaping our building rep training. And the funnest moment was this. I mean, we did stuff all throughout the day. Yeah. But there was one specific fun moment where uh, we had already talked most of the day about addressing mm-hmm. racial biases mm-hmm. and seeing it and stuff. And then we get to, okay, now it's time to leader map your school. Here's your map. Write down names of people that you might, like, connect with and mm-hmm. who are someone that might be part of organized, blah, 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 blah. So they wrote it down. And then as soon as they were done, they were like, now look at it. Which ones are white? Yeah, Do you have exactly. any people of color? Do you have yeah. any pairs? And that was yeah. such a difference than what they've experienced before. So I would say that's part of the effect of having a Center for Racial Equity mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. bigger union mm-hmm changes mm-hmm. well even as you're talking i i think too that the idea of mapping like who has control and power and who you you know work with to make change happen can be applied in a lot of contexts right and the moment you look at that and you go oh okay you know what do the demographics look like of those people that are leading and how do we actually make that change i think that can apply to a lot of folks you know or is it just a bunch of white dudes leading your organization um and as you know from previous episodes we uh Desiree Finch mentioned a number of groups in Tacoma that are doing this equity work and will come in and and help mm-hmm. you um look at that systemic issue in your organization mm-hmm. um any final thoughts you want to leave our audience with about the work that's done there or that you think um at the center you're hoping uh, to accomplish in the upcoming years i will say this uh, one of my biggest challenges have been 
institutional power and positional power. Mm. So we might feel powerful as a group, Mm. and I think we do. And we will support each other in combating imposter syndrome, therefore feel empowered individually, Mm -hmm. which then allows us to keep moving forward. But the system is set up to not only consistently change to maintain itself, but we have to oft, like constantly fight. Yeah. So I, I, I just want to kind of make a statement of acknowledgement mm. of all the other educators mm-hmm. of color and not mm-hmm. who are in, in social justice work yeah. to recognize that um, even though you may not feel seen, your, your, your yeah. peers see you, that mm. this is, part, you know, there's, a, there's just a constant fight. There's mm-hmm. a constant fight. And. I'm kind of in a position of if I can support enough other educators of color to recognize that they can Mm -hmm. and remove barriers to their success, then when I am no longer able to be in this position emotionally, mentally or otherwise, that I know that it's not done. Mm -hmm. There's someone else to step Mm -hmm. up into it. And if I can create any sort of change that allows for them to feel more success than I did and burn out less, then that was kind of the work that I, I hope to achieve. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. awesome. So good. Um, we're going to shift to our last two segments um, yeah. real quick. They're totally frivolous. So one is our guilty favesy segment. Interchangeable. White ladies. So something if I don't know if you're a person that feels guilt at all or like remorse about um, well, remorse is totally different. But anyway, it feels like you do something and you're like, ah, probably, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or engaging yeah. in this. But you still um, enjoy it. But you enjoy it. That's it's a guilty. Good. That's a guilty favesy. So, uh, Annie, what is your guilty favesy? I see in the notes here. Is uh, Costco or bulk shopping in general when I have like live with one other adult and a and a toddler. Why do I need to go to Costco? Like I don't really. Like um I don't need to buy a thousand rolls of toilet paper at once. I don't you know, I don't need to buy twelve pounds of coffee mm. at a time. I don't need to do that. But I have a compulsion to buy things in bulk. So then I do. I feel guilty about it because I don't really have the storage space and I don't really need it. In that you could quantity. just go to Fred Meyer and get less bulk and still have that bulk right. fulfillment. Right. But it just doesn't feel quite the same. Yeah. Something really true. special about Costco or cash and carry. I like cash <laughs> and carry too. Marquita, um, total total shift. Is there anything that you would say is on your list? So I've had um, some interesting conversations more recently because I think there's a whole lot of stuff that would have been on my list. Yeah. But I'm feeling like uh, me and the people I rely on are very much in a space of unapologetically yeah, F Yeah, good. So, for good. instance, um, I am looking cuter all the damn time. I don't mm. care about cleavage because guess what? I don't... Because it's there. Respectability yep. uh, tactic. Like, we ain't playing those games. Um, and so there's things that I think uh, even literally just six months ago mm-hmm. I mm. might have felt like guilty it. about. Yeah. But I'm like, mm, yeah. I, don't, I don't really care anymore. So the only thing I have is I have an Airbnb. Mm. <laughs> You run one. I'm like, I'm like, kind of, kind of feeling guilty yeah. because, like, that could be property for people in our space. Sure. But also, like, but I'm a brown woman. Like, our yeah. system has already yeah. fucked me over. Like, yeah. let me go ahead and like yeah. achieve in the same yeah. sort of way that the rest of capitalism. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. And the way that so I'm other people mixed don't feel bad on, about on, that. on that on that uh, guilty guilty That's level. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with the purchasing of spring rolls whenever I go to a place that has spring rolls. Most of the time, well, I don't need one before not I the eat fresh my rolls. Roll not the I'll fresh rolls. Actually, okay. I do love me a fresh roll, I and gonna, I love the variations. crunchy ones are the mm-hmm. uh, like, bomb. 
and depending on what culture you're talking about, right? Because we go through yeah. egg roll and and fried right. roll and Boo lumpia, and I, which is my favorite. Boo and I argue all the damn time about what's what's a spring roll and a fresh right? roll and a, mm-hmm. and a and a garden roll and yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then you just throw in all the other names for it and from different places and mm. all the regional slight differences. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know they're like totally gratuitous and you could just make a meal out of that, but somehow I'm like, yeah, I'll get that and whatever my number, what other thing that I'm ordering. Um, all right, final segment, Annie. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies! So, uh, recommendations for the audience, something that they should look up, do be better about just something to make them less basic and as you mentioned um, passive what was the term passive, passive progressive. progressive passive progressive That's to amazing. fight that passive progressiveness I love it. inside so many of us I mean it's hard to fight passive progressiveness <laughs> so can we start with acknowledging it like there you that go. would be helpful yeah. 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 and then um, certainly check out um, teacheractivists.com uh, colorfulpages.org uh, we have a website Seattle, uh, Seattle Racial Equity uh, Center for Racial Equity has a website it's called uh, S-E-A racialequity.com check that out too just I mean you can check it out a couple times and just kind of knowledge some stuff if someone wanted to email you follow up questions or yeah. anything what's the best way to reach you uh, I mean, my email is all over the all over the place. Perfect. But I said, mm, Marquita Prinzing at gmail.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I will link to that as well. Um, put that into our show notes. Yeah. Annie? Um, so I my homework is for you to go check out Dear White Teacher, 13 Books to Read on Racial Literacy by Bethany M. Edwards at Biracial Bookworms. It's a great website, and they have great other stuff. So once you read that, then you should go read other stuff. But, yeah, it's a good list. And I will just say, do what the other two said. There you go. Perfect. Uh, Marquita, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts. Move to Tacoma. Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma. Crossing Division. Flounder's B-Team. We Art Tacoma. And Taco Man. What did you say to them? I said exactly what I said. I said, no, this is my baby. I mean, who made it with me? Like, that was like a process. But no, this is... Hello, my name is Marquita. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.